What's up, fellow fantasy nerds? Welcome to a bit of an odd episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. What just happened is that Drew and I were originally planning on reading, or actually not reading, pardon me, recording Rhythm of War Part 4 to you, for you tonight. You can tell that we just finished recording a different episode. Um... We decided just to do one episode because we figured uh, Oathbringer Part 3 was going to take a couple hours, and we were right. In fact, we actually underestimated it. It took close to two and a half hours of actually sitting down and recording. But instead of pushing off Rhythm of War 4, I decided to completely forego doing any preparation, at least formal preparation for this episode. I'm feeling pretty pretty good after a couple of vodka Caesars from Oathbringer Part 3. And so Drew and I are, for the most part, just going to wing it with zero notes and zero preparation for the past couple of days for Rhythm of War 4. I, myself, am just looking at a phone file note that is just a chronological list of all of my my reactions to things that I read in, uh, I almost said Words of Radiance, in Rhythm of War Part 4. So, let's get on with this really, really weird episode. I'm sure this is going to be a really, really fun train wreck. Um, we are still, of course, actually, you know what, let's do the introductions. I'm Rob Santos, as you've guessed by now, by my slurring voice. I am joined as by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. What's up, Drew? How's it going, everybody? And we are still blessed... With the presence of Mr. Joshua Harkey from the 17th Shard. What's up, Josh? Hey. Thanks for sticking it out and continuing to deal with this circus for the rest of today as we discuss the rest of Rhythm of War. Sorry, part four. Of hey, Rhythm of War. I'm, I'm even less prepared, so you get to put up with me. Oh, hey, listen, <laughs> this is going to be an adventure. We are going to take this journey together, gentlemen. Oh, At least you God. both have the opportunity is... to read this book more times than I have. I've only read it once and really quickly. I'm not a beta myself, you fancy yeah. types. So, yeah, so this is this is going to be outrageous. This is going to be a weird episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I am going to get saucy. Um, I've already got a few more Caesars in front of me. And um, yeah, so Drew, let's get that um, really, really quick recap from you that I'm sure you have tons of preparation for. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I very clearly prepared for this. Um, so we start with, as always, some interludes. Uh, we have a Zeth interlude um, where he is guarding Dalinar and Gavinor and he's he's kind of being super paranoid. He's freaking out. He's like, there are no assassins around. That means I'm just not seeing them because there must be assassins around. And then he goes off and he, he chats with his high sprin and his high sprin is uh, pretty eager for him to get on with his ideals, uh, find his crusade and, and, you know, achieve the next step in his radiant hood. Uh, and then he returns back to Dalinar as he gets some news. And, and part of that news is that for some reason, Taravangian has asked for an oath stone. And then we have a, a little break in that narrative. We go to another interlude with, Yet another unorthodox interlude point of view character. Cheery, cheery. And I... I don't think I can actually say anything about this, because at this point I am still under the NDA for Dawnshard. So we're just going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to go to Taravangian's uh, interlude before part four here, where he is visited by, of all people, Renarin. And they, they chat about the diagram and, and, uh, and Odium's inability to 
see the future around Renarin, and uh, and after Renarin leaves, Zeth under a light weaving chats with Teravangian, and he wants to know why the heck Teravangian asked for an oath stone. Teravangian tries to discuss uh, the topic of Zeth's sword and how Odium is afraid of it, but Teravangian is exceptionally dumb today, and he is really struggling. Uh, putting his sentences together, and Zeth basically just says, I don't trust you, no, I won't listen to you, and storms off. And then we go to part four. And uh, the first page of part four reveals at least part of Cultivation's Vessel's name, and we'll revisit that later. And then from <laughs> from there... <laughs> uh, we, we head on into the, the meat of part four, where we left off in part three. Kaladin had just been separated from Syl, uh, barely avoided dying thanks to Dalinar's intercession. And he is, so he's like super injured. He's in a coma. He is in the throes of damnation because of Moash's nightmares. And he is just, you know, he not responding at all. Uh, those around him are trying to find a way to get him out of it. They go to Liren and Hesena, and Hesena is all aboard, getting out there to check on Kaladin and, and try to heal him. Liren is not so much. Liren is still being uh, pretty obstinate about things. Uh, he eventually admits, yes, he will go out to, to uh, take care of Kaladin, but if he does, he's probably going to turn Kaladin over to the Fused. Uh, at the last moment, Venli, who is there, reveals she knows where Lyft is. And they can have Lyft use her uh, progression to her regrowth to, uh, to heal Kaladin. Meanwhile, in Kaladin's dreams, he is still just absolutely in, in the pits. Quite literally the pit at one point. And at that point... His nightmare is invaded by a very special person, Hoyd, who tells him a story with the very mm, mm, interesting help of his new cryptic <laughs> playing the flute and interjecting, uh, you know, some comments from the peanut gallery. But he, he helps Kaladin kind of find an equilibrium and eventually, with Lyft's help, comes out of the coma and decides, you know what, we have to fight. Meanwhile, Navani is still working on uh, theories about light and, and investiture with Raboniel. And, oh my goodness, some of the things Navani discovers. She figures out how to combine Voidlight and Stormlight. She creates Warlight. And not only that, but she discovers what exactly was in that gem Gavilar gave Zeth all the way back at the beginning of the Way of Kings. It was anti-Void Light. She discovers how to create anti-investiture. And with it, Rabodiel then turns around and kills her own daughter, saving her from her insanity, and begins laying plans to kill and permanently kill the Knights Radiant and their spread. So <laughs> from there, that's the that's the situation in Urethiru. But in Shadesmar, 
we have Adeline's trial and Shallan's trial of her own variety. Adeline is brought in front of the honor spren for a few days, uh, interrogated several times, and meanwhile Shallan is panicking, trying to figure out how he can possibly get out of it, and trying to figure out who the heck um, uh, Rastaris is. It turns out Rastaris is a herald, the herald Kalak, who is the high judge, the guy presiding over Adeline's own trial, she hatches a plan to kill him using another um, herald soul capturing knife, which we know from the epigraphs in this part is not so effective as some people might think. But when she goes to, uh, to, to kill Kalak, she is finally confronted with her own truth. Formless is not formless at all, but formless is Shallan. And Shallan, as a young child killed her first sprint. Pattern was not there. Pattern has been lying all along, but he's been lying because he's been trying to keep her protected. She swears her fourth ideal. She does not kill Kalak. And Adeline goes to trial on the third day, only to be saved by none other than Maya, who reveals the Spren chose to break the oaths as well. So, <laughs> let's talk. Yes, let's... Let's talk Rhythm of War. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I just finished going on at length about this, but I'll reiterate it again. I, I mean, we're, we're probably not going to have, like, a dedicated style, then characters, then Cosmere-wide miscellaneous spoiler discussion, because all of my notes are just in chronological order of things I was reacting over. Normally, I have an entire... Uh, write-up of summaries to look at as well, and I didn't do that today, of course. There are no summaries online for Rhythm of War. That would be ridiculous. Uh, we're recording this. For me, it's actually October 15th. It's 12.32 a.m. It's a half hour past midnight. For these two guys, it's October 14th. But, um... <laughs> so, I mean, if, I, if we're just going chronologically in order of things that I reacted about, my first thing is Zeth Son Honor. He has... Yeah. Changed his name. I was I was interested to see if he would change his name back to his uh, his father's name. Of course, it didn't happen, uh, and he decided to change he, to to think of himself as Zeth Zun Honor. And I went, huh, that's such an interesting thing for a skybreaker to say or imply, even. I like it. I'm a big fan. Not gonna lie, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I, I think this shows some some good growth for Zeth. Uh, obviously, he he still has um, <laughs> some still still has some issues to get over. Oh, but, it, uh, just some, yeah, just a few yeah. little things to get over. Yeah, yeah. So, Josh, Zeth. Uh, <laughs> I actually didn't think too much. I, I enjoyed it, but um, I don't know. I didn't think too much of it. Um, I, I mean, it, it really kind of continues into the the following interlude, right? Um, it does. So it's it's hard for me to separate those two. I think. Um, I don't know. I, I think I kind of hoped to see more from Zeth, and so it was just kind of felt like he just sort of chatted a bit, and then nothing really happened. But yeah, yeah, we learn his father is alive, or at least he thinks his father is alive. And in, in, uh... Why did my phone autocorrect to Shinar um, in Shinovar? Right? <laughs> Bearer of a different sword, a different burden. 
And we learn that his family is there. That a, he had a family, and that his family, is, his mother and his sister, are supposedly alive. And I went, yo, this is what Zeth needs. He needs family to intercede and to try and help him. That would be the greatest. That's where I thought that was going, but we didn't see that. We didn't see that yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I want to. I want to just kick things off. Let's talk about Shalon here. Okay. Let's talk about Shalon. Formless Shalon. <sighs> Veil, anti-veil, bye-bye veil. <laughs> um, Rob. Yeah, what's up, dude? You, right here. Did you even see it coming that she had killed a spren? Um, I she saw it coming one. as soon as that uh, that one spren, uh, the one cryptic with the, the head of lines that was no longer moving, and it was kind of described as straight, and I think around that time uh-huh. they said that the spren... I mean, it was it was hinted at earlier. It was at least implied earlier that it was a recently killed spren. It was not a recreant's killed uh-huh. spren. But then we got the detail that it's about ten years old. And as yep. soon as we got that detail, I went, "Oh, a couple of things just slid into place." Because I was like, "Shalon would have been about nine years old ten years ago, or ten years old ten years something like that." I was like, "Okay, all right." So I saw it coming, but I definitely didn't make that prediction going into Rhythm of War. I, I saw it coming, like, pages, maybe, maybe chapters before we got the revelation. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, that is one thing that I did call. Yeah. And I have the receipts for that. Um, yeah. But, but, but yeah, that, that was, man, it, it, like you said, so many puzzle pieces slip into place once we have that information. Mm. And I was really glad that we finally get a conclusion to her multiple personality arc. Like, she doesn't Do need Veil anymore. Yeah. Like, I mean, like one of them so goes away, but the other ones are still there. I mean, yeah. I mean, Radiant is still there, right? Uh, so, Veil at least is gone. Yes, Veil is gone. Yeah. Formless and, is like the same and, thing, kind of, just unleashed. Uh... Yeah. Um, well, well, the reveal was that formless was never formless at all. Formless was Shalon, right? Just right. Shalon unleashed, but still like Shalon. Yeah, and then, um, uh, and then Veil is gone. So the only one left is Radiant, and we have a solution now. You know, like like. For the first time, she's not creating more aspects. She is reducing. She's becoming yep. more herself. Yep. You know, we have a we have a, a a resolution to what her problem is that's on the board, and and I'm sure Radiant won't fully go away until she she says her final truth. Hmm. Her fifth. Eh? Um. <sighs> yeah. But not Radiant's reached that step. If I remember yeah, correctly, yeah. It, it will be interesting to see. It will be interesting, but, um, but man, I, I yeah, Josh, no, fuck. I, no, I just um, <laughs> there's an outstanding question to me that that just bothers me so much um, of what what level sh- um, radiant Shalon is, um, because uh, Brandon has said in the past that she was. Um, at the end of Words of Radiance, she was one level further than Kaladin. Um, and people have been taking that at face value for years now. Um, mm-hmm. But that would have put her at at level four. And yep. then if this is a, a truth now, which it sure seems to be, 
uh, that would make her a level. This would have been her fifth truth. So I, I have to assume that uh, Brandon. The first one would have been words, though, not a truth. Sorry. This would be the fourth truth. Right? The, the sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oath. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm kind of using them synonymously. Yeah. Um, I have to assume that Brandon misspoke. Unless he was like misleading somehow, I don't. I'm. It's like still. I'm frustrated that like this was kind of like a mystery that kind of bothered me, and like I, now we're here, and I still don't. I'm still like it's still unclear. So can, um, can you remind me yeah. what that truth was? Was it just I I killed my past spren, my first spren? That was the truth. So so what I my head canon for this is that her first spren she got to plate. She got to that fourth level. Yeah. What? And then killed and it. Killed it. So that it reverses back. It's yeah. that one reverted. And so Brandon could say she has gotten one ideal further yeah. than Kaladin, but then she reverted everything because she. Why killed would we her think spread. that she broke a ten-year-old Shalon would progress to a plate? That would take. Well, she five ideals. I mean, she by the time she's no, ten. Four. Four. No, five. Uh, journey, well, Life Before Death, the first, and then the four following, right? No, no three following. Uh, Sorry, three yeah, following. Yeah. That, yep, but, but she talks about it in that scene where, where when she finally allows these memories to come through, she talks about easy truths coming through because she's a little kid. Oh, yeah, damn it. <clears throat> That's right. She can easily speak truths when she's so young because she sees the world so differently. She, it, Damn. It, yeah, she's also like dealing with uh, like clearly her family situation when she was even when she's like a little kid is not like ideal, right? Like there's some kind of sketchy oh stuff God. that's been going on. Terrible. I don't know. The uh, idea of a ten year old Shalon in shards play is kind of intimidating, honestly. <laughs> uh, she didn't summon any when she killed her mom, right? So yeah, exactly. That's another, that's uh, where my brain goes next. I don't is know. Man. She only had in her shard play. She only had what we thought was pattern. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, because Pattern, uh, at the very end of Ends of Words of Radiance, when he shows her that final vision, she, um, she, she whispers, I think she whispers, that was you. I had you even back then. And then Pattern goes, yes. But even if he does do that, which I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure he He's does. Lying. That's, that's the lie. That's the lie right there that he was yeah. admitting to. Honestly, I was not expecting Pattern to have any involvement in actually being able to lie to Shalon. Because there was all there was this this long question of oh my god pattern has been be- betraying her pattern has been the traitor all along or the imposter and it's like well yes and no he was lying but he wasn't he wasn't evil he wasn't like you know working for Maurice mm-hmm. or anything so mm-hmm. uh, there is um actually I was when I was rereading Oathbringer there's some there's a fun line I think in Shalon's very first Oathbringer chapter where um, she talks about like killing. Um, killing pattern in the past or whatever and i it kind of like it's uh, it re- yep. recontextualized that line for me it was it's kind of funny now because shaking my caesar it basically reads like I, like you can tell like how bad of a liar pattern is <laughs> so well and and later in that very scene pattern says i can die shalon i can go they will send you another to bond oh wow yeah that's good oh <laughs> and they did yeah yeah, they did. <laughs> oh my yeah, there, god, I there did are not so many things. There are so many things that I highlighted in Oathbringer with with Shalon and Pattern scenes that I couldn't talk about on our Oathbringer episodes. Oh. That I was just waiting 
Just waiting. This episode is going to have another 50 moments where I go, I just lose my crap, and I'm just like... All right. Yeah. Do you have uh, the yeah. drink on or anything else? So, well, I have I have one more point on this whole revelation with Shalon's sprint and, and, and ideals and everything, and that is, if we are to take, you know, it, it, it as, as face value that she bonded a sprint, killed it, and reverted back to stage one, and had to do, you know, her life before death, and her, and it was her first, um, truth at the end of The Way of Kings. That means light weavers get shard blades at the second ideal. Because early in Words of Radiance, before okay. she hits her third truth about killing her mother, she is summoning pattern in less than ten shard, uh, in ten heartbeats. Or it means that because she is still alive, she can summon her dead eye blade in less than ten heartbeats. One of these things has to be the case. And even though it's a dead eye, she can adjust the... Because she turns it into a knife in, in the chasms. She's doing things with her shard blade in Words of Radiance before her third ideal, her second truth, that should only be possible for a Knight Radiant at the third ideal. So There's, there's weird <laughs> stuff going on with... Like even There's still. weird stuff going on. There is. Um, um, it is kind of fun that uh, to Shalon, be... It is kind of fun that Shalon and Adolin both are kind of sitting there, like, uh, with like trying to revive Dead Sprint together. Some like uh, yes. marital goals. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I like how. That oh, my gosh. Sweet. Um, oh my gosh. I have one thing about Zeth. I forgot to bring up while we were talking about Zeth there. And again, it's just a reaction. That's what I was writing down here. But I wrote, Zeth, you idiot. This is in, all in caps, by the way. If you're so freaked out about Teravangian asking for an oath stone, and you uh, end that thought by reaffirming you will protect Dalinar at all costs, why not tell Dalinar? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Why not go straight to Dalinar and explain, hey, uh, Teravangian's asking for some risky <laughs> I think you should look into it. <laughs> Dalinar would be like, bro. being real sus right now. Yeah. <laughs> Teravangian is sus right now. You gotta go check that out. Oh, my God. I, I was so confused by Zeth, like Zeth's reaction. It's just like, oh. Well, I'm gonna leave the guy I'm supposed to protect and go interview this guy one-on-one and, and demand things of him. That just, it struck me as such, I mean, Zeth is slightly insane, more than slightly insane at this point, but it just struck me as such an idiotic, weird move. It's just, it felt like it was, it just, the the plot needed that to happen, rather than Zeth would have actually done that. The, uh... Okay there, Drew? uh, He's having an experience right now. I'd like to commit four seconds of silence. Oh! We'll, we'll, we'll... We'll look back to what you just said later in this episode. <laughs> I already forgot what it was. Okay, um, next one. Oh my god. Okay, I'll just say the beer I'm drinking for this episode. That's a good. <laughs> anyway, there was four holes in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll actually, um, you know what? The last one was mine. <laughs> one, of you guys bring one up. I'm going to just keep drinking. 
Josh, you have anything off the top this of your head? Yeah, extra this episode. Off the top of my uh, is is there anything with? Um, well, let me, let me just say on on Zeth, um, on the back of on the back of the Way of King, on the back of all the Stormlight books, right? There's like a little blurb yes. that's written by the Sleepless, <gasps> and on yeah. the Way of Kings, there's it's the one that says, you know, like uh, um, the Wind Runner. No, not the, I forget what they, what it calls them at the moment, but um, it, it's referring to Kaladin and Shallan and and Dalinar and Zeth, yeah. and it's like, you know, uh, one of them may save us, one of them will destroy us. I will say that Zeth is definitely at the top of my list right now for one of them will destroy us, based on just how, like, erratic and, like, I don't know, he just, he makes me so nervous. Really? I have a strong hope for a redemption arc for Zeth. I, I mean, I, I do, and I've always had that, <laughs> but, like, I think, like, I just assumed that, like, he would, he's, like, I, I assumed he was on that, like, redemption path now, and, like, things were gonna get better, and, like, just, like, when you get to him here and his state is so like unstable, it just makes me like so nervous that he's going to do mm. some, something by accident or, or in his insanity. That's like gonna, that's going to be really bad news. But he's, well, he's I, been... I'll say oh, he's sorry, got night blood and I feel like the sleepless are, are pretty scary, but I don't know how scary they are to somebody with night blood. Yeah. And what's going <laughs> I mean, on with, I his, think with it's... the high spren? He doesn't even know this high spren's name. That's pretty sus right there, too. Why does the high spren not well, tell him his name? I think that's a skybreaker thing. Like, the, the high spren, like, don't even talk to their radiance until they hit, like, the third ideal, right? We, well, so... how do we know that? Did yeah. I miss that, that detail as well? Yeah, like, that. that's a thing. Like, the like proto skybreakers like swear their oaths but don't like fully get the perks you know they don't they don't get a sprint like, until they're oh, that makes sense uh edge dancer makes a little bit yeah. more sense now or is yeah it like they apart? don't they don't yeah, get a, a sprint until their second ideal right and then they don't get their a... own blade until third okay so yeah not all the i think it's the so third that's, that they that's get, another right? point towards yeah uh, yeah, because yeah, Zeth, well, Zeth speaks his, he says the first, and then he speaks the second, and I think he says the third even right when he when yeah, yeah I think he says the third at the end of Oathbringer because Dalinar yeah. is his third yeah and and then Zeth has like a trial or, or something like that right where he has where he yeah. decides uh, to cleanse the yeah, shin yeah, yeah well so, that'll be his fourth his crusade fourth. is his fourth yeah, yeah okay um yeah I I also think it's we saw uh, the important accept that to consider the back covers of these books are from the sleepless point of view so far that's not necessarily the human's point of view yeah i mean yeah. like what we've seen of the sleepless like, they're pretty freaking aloof and they're honestly pretty scary like the the stuff we we get with arclo in edge dancer dude is pretty terrifying like yeah he's, that's pretty sus. Uh, yeah that's not, almost it's yeah Sus. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I cannot get that word out of my mouth. Like I said earlier, it's like a popcorn kernel stuck in my teeth. It's just there all the time now. Yeah, um, and and I really, I am dying to see the back cover copy for Rhythm. Of yeah, War. same. <laughs> yep. We know that there's like there's like factions among the Sleepless now too, right? Yeah, there I mean, are, we see uh, in this, there's at least one Sleepless serving the Ghost Bloods. Yeah. Like what so, the hell? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's that's scary as hell. Um. <laughs> um, I wrote down at one point, I wrote down, oh, I can see now why Dawn Shard needed to happen before the the Rhythm of War release, because there's the reference to Rissen learning some things by the time her interlude happens in this book. 
And this is, um, <laughs> I wrote down sleepless watching them. I don't remember why I wrote that down. Yeah, Drew is going to whistle. He's going to whistle all sus. Now, um, I will, I mean, before I go on to, into like my 16 more, I'll give one of you guys a chance to throw something forward that you want to talk about first. Let me just look at my notes that I was taking. In a row. Yeah, let me look at my notes I was taking while Drew was giving the recap. Let's talk Adeline and Maya. We got to talk Adeline and Maya. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. One of the most powerful moments Brandon Sanderson has ever written. First off, like, this is a style thing and a character thing and just an overall awesome thing. Like, we chose. Oh my gosh. What a moment. What a freaking moment. Yeah. Like, you, you knew. I mean, you, you knew the moment... Maya was trotted out, right? You knew that there was going to be something that, like, she came alive and and rescued oh, it. Oh, I'll take that a step further. As soon as they said, as soon as they outlined the conditions for the trial and that there would be a final witness on the last day, I was yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. well, that witness is going to be Maya, and it's going to do some crazy mm-hmm. stuff, yeah. But but you did not know that it was the Spren were just as into it nope, as the next No, I did radio. not know that. I definitely uh, and, did not know that. I see. I actually, I always kind of wondered if the, if the, uh, I don't really? know. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I, well, I, I will say just because okay. in Delinar's vision, the, the way that they like kind of walk up and pull their shard blades and, and it just, it always struck me as something that was not like, um, I'm betraying, I'm like, I'm betraying my sprint. Like I'm, they don't want to do this, and I'm just, like, killing them. It seemed to me like they came to this decision, and it needed to be made for some reason. Um, a lot of people at the end of Oathbringer kind of complained, like, oh, there's, they, they were frustrated because they felt like it, it, it wasn't strong enough of a reason that the humans yes. are the Voidbringers. And there's a lot of good reasons why maybe that would have been strong enough of a reason for the recreants to happen. But uh, then you look at someone like, you know, Kaladin says, well, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it, you know? So you're seeing a lot of people who are, like, dealing with it okay. And so yeah. um, uh, I, there's a lot of room for more of an explanation. Yes, um, yeah. and, and absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis there placed is. on how the orders differ from one another, too. Clearly, Brandon yeah. doesn't want to tell us what it is yet, either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the moment we got that Voidbringer revelation, Oathbringer, I was just like, nope, don't buy it. Yeah. I, I do not buy it. Yeah, and, it always it was, I, that was one of the things. It, you know? Yeah, that was one of the things I wrote down, and I was like, "This cannot possibly be it." I I thought it was going to be something deeper than this. This was on the list of a thousand things that I threw away, and it was first on one of the first ones on that list. Yeah, like just just the logistics of it, where you know, ostensibly it's like, oh, surge binding destroyed Ashen. So the knights reading it were afraid they were going to destroy Roshar. It's like, no, we know already from Dalinar's visions, from Noadon's, you know, uh, musings and stuff, surge binding worked differently back then. With the oaths, with the ideals, they don't have the freedom to be so wantonly destructive anymore. It makes no sense for the knights radiant to just 
be like, oh no, we're going to destroy the planet. Except their O's literally won't allow them to. Because the moment they try to start doing that, they break their oaths and break their bonds and lose surge binding. Well, you would, that, like, that implies that they would need to intend to do that. What about the scenario in which they accidentally do that or they inadvertently do that? Uh, because of like uh, a, I, maybe they're manipulated into doing that by some other entity. Even then, you would need such wide scale. Like, yeah. I mean, I agree I with you. I just I want to see what I'm trying to throw something at you that I sense to me. imagine others might. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. It always struck me as a as silly reasoning. I mean, just based on the fact that oh, so it has the the, the potential and the power to end civilization mm-hmm. and end um, a planet. Does that necessarily mean it has to do that? Is that not in itself kind of a useful tool? That kind of power, if you're going to be challenging a shard <laughs> of adenalcium, you know? Yeah. Right. And then, I hadn't even considered what you said, too. You make 100% sense. Yeah, well, and and so this is the other side of this whole Adeline Maya revelation thing that I am very glad for, and I know at least one fed will be specifically over the moon about. <laughs> he is not a Knight Radiant. He is something different. He is bonded with Maya, but he is not a Knight Radiant. Yeah. And I love that. I'm I'm totally on board. Adeline, yep. Adeline in this book, Adeline is just the best. He's he's my favorite character in this book. His whole arc is wonderful. He is uh, to to use the the modern parlance. He Adeline is best boy with a B O I. Yeah, I will say Adeline is, like while he's not my favorite of all of the characters, um he is definitely the only one that I can't find anything at all to complain about. Even my favorite characters, I have yeah. something to complain about. Adolin is, for me, is... He's so wholesome. Flawless. He's so wholesome. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he's, absolutely. He's just the best. Like, yep. Uh, I'm going into this book, I always liked Adolin, but I was like, eh. You know, like, he's not my favorite. After this book, he may legitimately be my favorite character in the Stormlight Archive. Hmm. He, his, yeah. his his uh, naivety right. in throughout the trial uh, frustrated me a little bit. Yeah. I felt like he kind of went into it like perhaps? more optimistic than he had a right to be, but I guess um, he's just th- that much of an optimist. <laughs> um, yeah. He is, and I also saw it as a little bit of um, oh crap! What was the ink brand's name? Blended. blended. Oh yeah, yeah. blended. Uh, I think that was a little bit blended's doing, misleading because... him a little bit. Yeah, playing both sides. Like, that's a good point. Yeah, and it, sure. it, part of it's like desperation. Like, I think he's 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 been forced into this corner, and like he's almost like optimistic because he has like what else can he what else can he do but hope? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So back to actual discussion here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, do we have any more about Adeline and Maya that we want to talk about right now? I mean, I could talk Adeline about it all. Like. All day, every day. Like to add, this is this is probably this might be like my the most we chose might be my most like powerful stormlight moment so far, and I'm not entirely sure why because it's not as grand as a lot of other scenes. Um, it's not. Um, it doesn't have the the flair of uh, you know, honor is dead, but I'll see what I can do. It doesn't have like the yeah. s- like the explosive oh, like fireworks as you can't have my pain. But um, mm-hmm. something about this scene like the emotion like the raw emotion of it yes. hits me so deeply 
um, I don't just he is so expertly written the way that Maya just like slowly like builds like her tension and her stress like builds up and then she just explodes and she's just screaming at everybody and it's just like oh my goodness yeah speaking oh. was the last thing I expected her to do I thought she was going to fight her way to him before she would do something like speak Ugh, I mean I can't read it without so- getting chills like now like it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. I, I, I read it the first time, obviously, you know, in the beta, and I, I was blown away. And then I just reread it a couple of days ago, and I mean, I cried. I had tears in my eyes reading that scene. Like, it, you know, fist to the chest. So good, so good. It, I've I've already mentioned several times in previous episodes, like specific scenes where I'm like. Uh, like this, this might be in my top three favorite scenes when we get to the end of our episodes here. This, I'll, I'll give you a spoiler. Absolutely, is going to be my top three favorite scenes. Some of the other ones are, you know, borderline. I'll have to make some decisions. This will be in there. This scene is so good. It's some of Brandon's most powerful writing. Full stop. Dang, I, I just, so. I'm like skimming over, like Adolin <laughs> helping her say strength before weakness. Ugh. Ah, yes. (laughs) Goodness gracious. Anyway, we need to move on because it's just... Yeah. 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 Can we talk about... This is... um, So I kind of want to talk about... um, This is getting more obscure, I guess. But it's on on the topic of uh, the recreants and what happened to the sprint. Um, I don't know. Did, did you guys really dig into this whole issue with uh, Ba'ado Mishram? And okay, her... that was literally my next point. Yeah, okay. I think what you're about <laughs> to say was my next point. I love with... the fact that you just brought this okay, up. Okay, you, you go with what you guess. want to say, because yours is probably more formulated even than my thoughts right now. It, by if, by <laughs> formulated, you mean written down at 2.36 a.m. with blurry eyes in bed while I'm trying not to fall asleep? <laughs> Mine was written down at 12.30 a.m. as Drew was reading. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Summary. We'll see. You let me know if I actually guess what you're about to say. Um, uh, okay, so uh, with Ba Ado Meshram, so I figure... Let's see here. We, we, we learn a lot of things about Venli, flashbacks, Ulam in the first chapter proper, the info dump about the Heralds, uh, Telenolat refusing to break, the Everstorm originating in Shadesmar, and then how they're going to bring it through. And then we have this revelation about Odium and what he used to do for the singers. And Ba Edo Mishram, we finally find out what really happened there is that once Odium was removed from the equation, Ba Edo Mishram was the... Uh, was the spren that stepped into his vacant place and granted forms of power to the Parshendi. So we finally have a cohesive story on what exactly, what piece Ba'edo Mishram plays there in the Parshendi's granting of forms of power and then how locking that unmade away is what took away the Parshendi's forms of power and completely changed and destroyed that race for all intents and purposes. We, we, get, the, we get the puzzle pieces and how they finally fit together there. So, I think there are still a couple of puzzle pieces missing. Oh, sure. Yeah. The biggest one is... This book has shown us much more about what the unmade are. Because Raboniel is trying to unmake the sibling. Yep. So, very clearly, the unmade were other spren that were then corrupted somehow with a massive infusion of Odium's investiture. 
what was Ba'ado Mishram before being unmade? What was her connection to Roshar as a whole? Because clearly her imprisonment, based on what Kalak is saying in his letter here in the epigraphs, her imprisonment broke something with Roshar. Yeah, and this what is... the hell is going on there? Yeah, and yeah. I don't, I can't say I have a, a full-on theory, but it for the first time ever really struck me. Um, ba Otto Mishram, her the the middle the middle yes. construction. Yes, is there a direct connection to Adenalsium? Yeah, Ada. <clears throat> or I mean, oh sh- uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I can't actually say that because that's part five. Never mind. Sorry, go ahead. I, it, it's the, we got answers here, but in typical Brandon Sanderson yeah. fashion, we got bigger questions raised. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Josh, you're about to say something. There well, before yeah, I, uh, Kalak refers to her, up? calls her Mishram at, at the end that last epigraph mm-hmm. there. So there's kind of like it's it's not just like crazy talk to like start. Picking apart parts of her name and saying, "What does all these parts of her name mean?" Because and, and exactly, clearly they, yeah. it was—it's an amalgamation of something. Yeah, and let's think about the—if uh, I remember correctly—it would be the Teravangian inter- <clears throat> the interludes from the diagrams. So I want to say it's part four of Words of Radiance. No, part five. That'd be part five of Words of Radiance, I believe. Sounds um, right. Where Teravangian, who is who is writing these parts, of course. Um, was musing on his day of brilliance about the unmade, and he was considering that, or at least considering the possibility that some of them can think. So I don't think all of the unmade were, I don't know, fully sentient beings before they became unmade, but I definitely think there's a huge argument to to stand that there were sentient beings that were unmade. And I, I, I postulated about uh, Shah not. I don't remember if this was last week or the week before, that um, Ja Anat may have been, because she, she considers all these spren her children, and at one point we see one of her children thank her for uh, granting or, or returning his eyes. I can't remember the exact way it was phrased, but I thought, like, the way she corrupts these spren, she considers them her children, I figured this may be one of the ones who was perhaps sentient or human before she was unmade and this this kind of speaks as a as a mother a mother figure so i don't know like i think specifically with ja not there's something strange going on there but with baedo mishram i don't know uh i don't really see a personality so much as i see like a key something to unlock something to progress i'm just like totally riffing it i'm like I, I can't dispute anything you're saying. <laughs> I, I mean, it's there's just so much, so much up in the air after after this part. So I, one thing I wanted to bring up, I guess, related to this is, um, so this is the chapter ninety four. This is the the we chose chapter, the epigraph there. Kalak gets yeah. into it. He says, I, I was there when Ba'ado Mishram was captured, which that's a yeah. fun, thing, fun thing. So the heralds were involved in the recreants. That's something that right. has well, never really been yeah. talked about much, I think. Uh, he says, I know the truth of the radiance, the recreants, and the Nahel Sprin. 
Um, and so we see that with my, like there's clearly there's something involved with capturing her did something terrible that we don't, that we don't even like have all the clues to really understand what it was maybe. Um, I'm, I'm super interested to find that out. I do want to, to quit really quick uh, wild theory because this is something that came up in Oathbringer <laughs> part two. I told Drew this the other day and I, and I'm excited to share it because it's the first time I've like talked about it sweet, in sweet. a publicish way. Um, this is an Oathbringer part two uh, in one of Yasna's chapters. Um, she's, She's when she's in her room alone and she's talking to Ivory, and uh, it says, says ten orders." Yasna said, "All ended in death, all but one." Ivory agreed. They lived in death instead. They lived in death instead. Um, I think that Yasna knows the secret to this. So when you're reading this the first time, Yasna like, "Oh, she understands the secret," and then you get to the end, and it's like, "Oh, the you know the humans are the void bringers," and you just sort of assume. Oh, Yasna, Yasna knew that. Yasna knew the secret that the humans were the void bringers. I think that she knows this, whatever this deeper secret is, because she's saying um, there were 10 orders all ended in death. So she's saying all the sprint, all these orders died. And Ivory, it says Ivory agreed, but he says one, uh, all but one, they lived in death. So I think she's saying that there's something wrong with the high sprint. Like the high sprint, um, it's not saying, oh, but the high sprint didn't, were an order that was, that didn't, you fall apart like the others did. He's saying that the high sprint didn't go die in the recreants like all the other sprint did, but they're they're living in death. So there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Even now, because sure. Yasna went to go That's talk to the high sprint. That's really interesting. So there's yeah. a little Oathbringer Part Two thing that I'm like now I'm reading Oathbringer Part Two and it's like oh here's something interesting and in the context of Rhythm of War <laughs> that I can't yeah. wait to talk about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's just so um, freaking much. Yeah, speaking of I'm, so I'm freaking like, much. I'm, I'm trying to like save Navani to the end. <laughs> because, yeah. just because everything with Navani is... like. So is there anything else with other characters? Oh god, I have so much... Venli? Do, do we have anything with Venli? All of, my, all of my points are in chronological order. I, I have to go through like four pages to tell you if I have... <laughs> Sorry, did you say Venli? Yeah, so I, you didn't. We didn't talk about Kaladin and that. Yeah, we definitely. Yeah, I, didn't talk I guess about we 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 briefly talked about Kaladin. Um, we we did. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it, let's get Venley out of the way first, and then we'll do Kaladin. <laughs> um, I didn't like Chapter Eighty One. I remember. I have a note here about how I didn't like. Uh, it's it said the flashback immediately after Dog and the Dragon, Esh and I and Venley short. Doesn't seem to have a purpose at all. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. being very kind at this point. Damn. Uh, Eshenai is in war form talking to Thud, and it, like Venli has five more void sprint that she outlines, and she outlines her plan for their future again. But it seems to me like in this, like this entire, yeah, that, I remember this this uh, impression now. It seemed to me like that one immediately following the dog and the dragon just didn't really have a whole lot of purpose. I, I remember. I kind of agreed. I, I think it was like, um, yeah, it's. It almost felt obligatory, like, oh, we've got to, like, show the right. humans arriving on the Shattered Plains. Yeah, it, it felt like an obligatory uh, beat. But. Um. All right, I may be getting ahead of myself. I can't remember. Is the interlude with the Chasm Fiend in part four? No, that's no. part five. That's the very, very end. That's oh. That's the very end. No, not the very No, very he's end. talking about the flashback. The flashback? Yeah, when, when Eshenai oh, sorry, gets when Timber. They... 
Right, sorry. I thought you meant when the chasm thing I think is... it must be in part four. Sorry, I should have said that. Everybody who's listening to this right now is like screaming at you like... That's okay. I'm, we're going to censor that for a reason. Yeah, That's we're going to censor the shit out of that. We, we, we every single s bomb, every single shit, every single shit gets censored, as well as uh, spoilers. That's what that's what we do before they get released. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, it is. It's in part four. It is in part four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the the only interlude or interlude flashback in part four that I was really like. Okay, no, one of two. Uh, other than the first one, when when Venli and Ulim are in the palace and they run into Nail, and we oh, find out so, just like such a good full scene. stop. Nail is Nail is the one who engineered Gavilar's death, um, <clears throat> which makes sense. Yeah. Nail's out here trying to kill Proto Radiance. Yep, and Gavilar is a Proto Bodsmith, which is probably the most terrifying Proto Radiant to Nail. So. He's going to do anything he can yep. to to get that guy killed. Um, uh, but but the other one that really interested me was when Eshonai goes out into the storm and the chasm fiend just comes out of the chasm in front of her and apparently pops out timber. I do not understand this. <laughs> like, help me here. What the hell <laughs> okay sorry repeat those last 10 seconds again Venli pops out timber what was that i, I didn't associate it directly that directly eshonai yeah eshonai goes out into the high storm and a chasm yeah. fiend pops up out of the chasm and and then timber yeah her her reacher her light spread apparently comes out of the chasm fiend like I, I do not understand this scene. <laughs> um, well, it feels like it's filled with portent. Okay, clearly so, we don't know everything about the chasm fiends yet, and they have a they have a, they have a bond with Spren that allows them to exist at their size, right? Like we we know that right. much about them. But but those those Spren that they they have that bond with are the like you know arrowhead like gravity Spren things, right? Could that, those like, be the, the cousins of the releasers? Like there's always a. Like a not like a what's the what's the term like an um a cultivation side spread like a the wind runners have honor spread but they also have wind spread the light weavers have cryptics but they also have creation uh, creation spread yeah creation the edge dancers spren. have windle life spread I would assume and life spread would be like for, like what is the equivalent for the will shapers could these be involved with how the uh, the chasm fiends exist so maybe chasm fiends have a a radiant spren a, a light spren a reacher or maybe the heart. radiant spren that respond that corresponds to the the order that venli belongs to could be like just related it's like finding sill dancing with a bunch of wind spren it would be venli spren dancing with a bunch of her cousins with timber dancing with her cousins perhaps i don't know i'm also yeah Seven out oh. of ten drunk at this point, so. Could... <laughs> it, it me to me it makes me wonder if the chasm. It seems like the chasm fiends might be um, sentient to some degree. Yes. Um, oh, definitely. I have some totally. theories about them chasm fiends, which to me goes back just to, I guess, give a brief mention to the Chiri Chiri interlude. The, the this whole idea that Chiri Chiri is um, is sentient. Um, Oh yeah, I mean, and yes. obviously we have like the the Reshi Isles, 
like we've seen there's this precedence that's set there and apparently uh, yeah. it's like a thing all over the place there's like all sorts of animals and, on Rashad that are <laughs> and I've talked with like Rob and I have talked about the uh, the Lancerin oh, yes. versus the Larkin you know where we have word of Brandon that they're like not exactly the same thing mm-hmm. but they're related you know and yep. so yeah. I, I did not associate Timber uh, Tamber with the chasm fiend um popping up that directly i didn't think that like one that he came out out of the chasm fiend yeah. or anything i figure are these not like the same that? spread maybe, that you maybe. see at like sky yields no well so the chasm fiends have the same spread you see around the sky yields but timber is not one of those right but those like, are those, the like those could be timber's cousin yeah yeah, yeah, so yeah. we also saw that I kind of yeah. We we also saw that Sprint can uh like control animals, right? Did did like earlier on did, did it seems like you see like a um um Well, there are void Sprint that are controlling like Kremlings in Urethiru. Right. So that that's my kind of thought I guess is I wonder if he was just like hitching a ride on the Chasm Fiend to like uh Yeah. Mm. 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 I don't know. Yeah. I could I like get behind idea. that. I could get behind that. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So to our listener base, if you have <laughs> theories on this, let us know on Facebook or on Twitter. Um, yeah. But uh, let's go from there into like real Venly discussion because I, uh, yeah, because <clears throat> I really like Venly's chapters in this part. Uh, I've n- never been the biggest Venley fan, and I certainly wasn't the biggest Venley fan earlier in this book, but her coming clean to Relaine was great. And her uh, step toward her her next ideal, um, dedicating herself to freeing Lyft, was touching... But what was most just uh, intriguing to me was her her moments of practice and her connection with the literal stones of Urethiru. Where we have this implication that there was something going on with this mountain, with Ur, before Urethiru was constructed. I loved that little conversation she had with the stones. And this whole part... This whole part was such a downhill slope for so many characters, except for Ventley. It was it was a rising action for her. In a character sense, not a plot sense. I mean, a plot sense, too, because we're in... We're, we're like... In the climax of the book now, but but where where Navani is reaching her darkest moment, where Kaladin is reaching his darkest moment, where Shalon and Adeline are reaching their darkest moments, Venli is growing, and it's from an authorial standpoint, from a style writing standpoint brilliantly done by Brandon part four could have been unrelentingly oppressive 
if it weren't for some of these Venli chapters in the current timeline, if it weren't for some of these moments of growth for her interspersed with mistakes and depression and and just darkness for the other characters. Yep. It's uh, her her flashbacks do get darker though as they go along, which maybe is serves to kind of like yeah. uh make her present day timeline chapters look that much brighter. Um I I really liked I love her this chapter 95 the just the title of it what she truly was mm-hmm. um i love how like just like crushing that chapter is where she like is like at her absolute bottom um and then you get to skip from there to um that we get that in the middle of her finding out that the that the listeners are still alive um, yes and there's like a there's a redemption there and so that was just a, a beautiful like um I don't know, a fantastic moment of like seeing something, I don't know, seeing it in, turn out, turn out okay, even though she was at rock bottom there. In yeah. the middle. It's in its own way. It's like a moment of self-actualization where she, she finds potential meaning in life again with this knowledge that she is not so alone and that she is not so culpable. Obviously, she is still extremely culpable for the destruction of the listener nation, but she is not the last listener. Obviously, Relaine is there, but way more importantly, there are still hundreds and thousands of listeners alive that helps her find uh, you know, meaning going forward hmm yeah um I want to talk about Navani really quick and about well, that, her this little is not a of... really quick this is not a really quick well sorry there's what I meant was there's <laughs> one particular part of Navani's journey that comes to fruition okay. here that I want to talk about and that is the fact that at one point Raboniel tells Navani that she is the greatest scholar she's known in in, in many returns, that's what I wrote down here. She responds, Navani responds, I'm not a, and then she pauses, and then she goes, thank you. Hmm. You know, and, and Drew, just a couple episodes ago, you were talking about how Navani has this issue where she does not accept or acknowledge the fact that she is a genius or that she is a scholar and she deserves her accolades. And so... This struck me, and this moment was really pivotal in Navani's character journey for me. And when she when she stopped herself halfway through that sentence, and she decided just to thank her for the compliment, it really meant a lot to me to see Navani finally make that step. I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it that was a fantastic moment. Obviously, I've been on the Navani scholar character arc train for yep. four episodes now. And yep. here we have her her apotheosis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but before we get deeper into Navani... Okay, yep. Because this is going to take, like, the Phrasing, rest of the Phrasing, by the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, We're still there, Let's talk Kaladin real quick. Let's talk Kaladin real quick. 
There's a kitty on the stove. There is. There I is see a kitty on Drew's webcam. He's yeah. adorable. Yeah. <laughs> um, Caliban. Okay. For me, Caliban's chapters in this part were the most difficult part of the book. So depressing. And seeing him uh, at, at this state. I mean, we've seen Caledon at some pretty low states. We have never seen him like this before. You know, we've seen him on, on the physical edge of the onarchasm. We've seen him breaking his bond with Sill, dropping into the chasm. Here we have him bereft of the will to live. He is so tortured. He doesn't have Syl. She's gone. We we know he's in some kind of a coma, whether magical or or physical or both. And then we get another nightmare. Another trip to what appears to be Bray's. And he's just ready to give up. He's he's on the verge in every every sense of the term. And here comes Hoyd. Beautiful chapter. I think those might be my favorite three words you've ever uttered on this podcast. Here comes Hoyd. <laughs> I mean, we've gotten a we've gotten more Hoyd in this book than in any other book. Brandon Sanderson has written, but we haven't really gotten Hoyd until now. The story, yeah, Hoyd is synonymous with the stories, and yeah, it's cool seeing him as Yasna's wit and and being, you know more involved with the councils and talking about rays in a familiar way and talking about and having an odium relationship and, and, in some and, sense and yeah that's cool but but this is Hoyd it's, and yeah yeah I can't explain to you the uh the excitement I had. It's probably some here in my, in my later notes, but how psyched I was when Kaladin was underground and he was about to give up. And we have those punctuation points. Bang, 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 bang. This may even be a, a style point here. And then that, that hand pushed underground and pulled him above, and it was this glowing figure that resolved itself into Hoyd. And the smile I got on my face in that moment when I realized how good this section was that I was reading. I felt, it, I, this is going to sound so corny, but I felt blessed in that moment to be <laughs> reading something like this. It was so good. It was, it hit all the right notes. Okay, you, you brought up, you said maybe this is a style point. Brandon Sanderson in Rhythm of War does a lot of the same things he's done in The Way of Kings, in Words of Radiance, in Oathbringer, 
even a lot of the same things he did in Warbreaker and Elantris and and the Final Empire and and in Bands of Mourning. All of those things are done better here. This guy just keeps getting better at the craft of writing. He's he's still you know, you call him a formulaic author, whatever. Sure, he is that. He he's an outliner, he's a structuralist. And maybe that has some some downsides, but it's really hard to see it as a downside when each book this guy writes his craft improves. I I have never read a Hoyd story that struck me like The Dog and the Dragon. And that includes The Girl Who Stood Up. You know, that includes Wandersale. That includes Wandersale with the end of the book chapter title tie-in. Yeah. At the top of the tower or however it was. Yeah. Yeah, in the top room. In the top room, that's what it was. <laughs> Brandon Sanderson He's just getting better. is a unique author. This guy is like 30 plus books in, and he's still He's lightning in a bottle. He's lightning in a <laughs> bottle. He is nitroglycerin. You cannot control him. You can only direct him. I, I remember reading Words of Radiance and thinking, man, this guy keeps getting better. I hope he doesn't start going downhill because, like, we're only two books into the series and it's already great. And if I just hope he More can keep great. this level with Words of Radiance. And I'm just like, we're, we're two books later now. And I'm just like, no, no, he's just played better than he was when he wrote Words of Radiance. He's just playing better. And you have to look at the trend. His, his momentum, <laughs> yeah. his acceleration is still going up. It's... And, and and this yep. is probably the biggest criticism Brandon Sanderson gets, and that's his prose. And I think Rhythm of War has his best prose ever. There were more points in Rhythm of War where I stopped and thought, wow, what a line, than in yeah. any other book I've read by him. And, I mean, things like the Sill interlude, the descriptions of her flying in the storm, uh, moments like Raboniel stabbing her daughter with the knife. Hmm. Oh Obviously, my God, yeah. we chose, you know, and it, the way he has just put together such a complete package of the craft of writing on a mechanical level is stunning. I mean, we, we started our, our mega Brandon Sanderson, you know, Cosmere read through what? Five months ago, four months ago with Mistborn. And I was pretty freaking critical of the prose in Mistborn. <laughs> That wouldn't say pretty freaking. You're still uh, mostly complimentary. This almost reads like a different author writing Rhythm of War versus writing The Well of Ascension. Yeah, I agree. It, it's just magnificent. 
I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, while we're speaking about magnificent writing, I want to discuss this chapter that we got from David's point of view. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I knew that was going to kill Drew. Looking at looking at his face, I knew this was the moment. I knew it. I had to bring up David right here. This chapter from David's point of view is so heartbreaking and it's so gorgeous. It it fills in a lot of the gaps that I didn't know that I had and it really reminds me that not everything is as it seems. I mean, I myself am speaking as what What's up, Drew? Tears in my eyes right now. Oh, oh! It looked like you wanted to, yeah, to jump in on that. Yeah, no, I'm speaking as somebody who has a special needs sister who I talk to and I interact with every single day. Um, I love her to death, and seeing Sanderson try and approach this point of view and to still treat it with as much respect as it deserves. And to show that not everything is as it seems and to give us that exact reason that we have, that we need to, to see it in a different way. It was the fact that David all along had been seeing more than we thought he did. It really, really hurt in, in such a good way. It, it's, I, I find it hard to articulate exactly how it moved me and I felt this was a very visceral, very raw and very intimate thing or choice to make as an author. And it, I just, I have nothing but respect for, for Brandon for doing that. That was, it, it killed me. The David chapter killed me and I'm going to consistently be returning to that and reading that again and again. That's it. So it is, a beautiful coincidence that a couple hours ago we sat down to record our Oathbringer Part 2 episode with the various Bridge 4 points of view. Mm-hmm. And here in Rhythm of War Part 4, we have alternate Bridge 4 points of view. Yeah. And between, between all... Uh, among all of those chapters nothing is as good as this David chapter (laughs) I'm not joking right now I have tears leaking from my eyes dude look at my freaking eyeballs okay yeah like I'm leaking oh my gosh oh my gosh Bixby is being a dickhead here yeah I can't even... I, I don't this have is, words this, for this. I do not have words for this. Listen, listen. Last episode you asked me if I had any predictions, and I predicted that since the sibling needs a bondsmith, I predicted that David was going to be that sibling. Or, sorry, was going to be that bondsmith. Yeah. Because he has this unspoken, literally unspoken connection with the tower, and I figured that's what David deserves. And when I got this chapter, chapter. I got this yeah. scene in, in Rhythm of War 4, it... Uh, I mean, at this point, I was certain. I was like, okay, I'm I'm waiting for the reveal that David is going yeah. to become the sibling's bondsmith. Yep. I was and right so, there with and, you. And then, and then we, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. 
Okay. Uh, so, let's get over this, because we have lots to go, and uh, how far in are we? Oh, God, okay. I, don't, I don't even want to know. I'm at an hour 14 right now. <laughs> or an hour 15, but was, we're going to be I was thinking, um, comparing to Oathbringer Part 2, I had this, uh, this part in mind, actually, of Oathbringer Part 2, Bridge 4 POVs that were, that were great. There were some really great character yeah. chapters, and, and uh, but this one, I love these Bridge 4 POVs coming together to like tell this cohesive story together. Um, it's yes. amazing. You see, you get to see Verlaine dealing with the prejudice um, on the on the singer, on, on both sides. And he's not just dealing with the humans don't understand me, but now yeah, it's the traitor. Humans yeah. treat me like garbage. The singers treat me like garbage. Like I'm just totally alone. Um, that was really powerful. Dabbed scene is really powerful. Kaladins is cool. Um, Teft, um, I love when oh, Teft wakes up and he realizes that he, 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 you realize that he thought that he um, got some fire moss again and he realizes when yeah. the moment he realizes that he didn't and he just like breaks down and, um, you know, yeah. oh, God, that was really powerful. It's just like oh, so many good bridge for. POVs here that just come together amazingly. Yeah. I, th- this book is depressing, um, and even some of these chapters here are depressing, I guess. But I just thought they were so hopeful. The way that, yes. the way that it's like these all these characters are coming together and like, um, I don't know, save, working together to to save Kaladin, to painting their foreheads. Oh gosh, oh. yes. <laughs> that that line, I um I remember back in. Uh, Wave Kings part two, I guess, whenever Kaladin is hung up during the high storm and he has this conversation oh, yeah. with Syl, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and, and, and she says, you know, do you want to be, what is he a hero? Is that what? Do you want to be a miracle? Do you want to be a miracle? And he says, for them, I will be. And no, but for them, I will be. This, uh, yeah. the, this, this, uh, chapter here about Kaladin being a symbol, like, it's so cool that he he went Drew, from being me, dude. he went he I went from being me. the the miracle that Bridge Four needed to like the 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 miracle that like the the entire tower uh, needed. Um, it's good stuff. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I really want some fan art of like people like painting like shash glyphs on their head with like that quote. I want a shash on glyph. There. If I'm going to a Sanderson signing, I'm painting a shash glyph on my head. So I'm sorry, like. People, people will will go on about, and rightfully so, will go on about part five of Oathbringer. Rhythm of War is the most powerfully emotional a book Brandon Sanderson has written. Hmm. Like, I might agree with that. Yeah, I've only read it once, very fleetingly. Um, but I will read it many more times in the future, and I'm sure I will have a lot to back up that statement with. Yeah. Like, continue. I'll be back in two minutes. Not even. The. It's, like Oathbringer has Oathbringer has the one the one mega moment, right? You will not yeah. have my pain. And. Rhythm of War just has so many moments. It's... I 
And and I don't know, maybe maybe this is 2020 talking as well. The <laughs> fact that I read that this context. book for the first time, like I read part four of Rhythm of War right when everything was shutting down for COVID. But I read it again, you know, in October, and and my my mental and and you know spiritual well being is is nowhere near as rough as it was in March as it is now, and still these scenes just wreck me. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It's incredible what Brandon Sanderson did with this freaking book. Going back here in my notes to see what else I'm going forward with chronologically. Well, we oh. have we have Navani. We have Navani and Raboniel. <laughs> okay, Which... all right. So you, you want to discuss the uh, everything that they discovered together? Uh, the implications of such? Um, well, let's let's try to like segue it as we go through into full spoilers because we we really got to talk Cosmere spoilers at the end of this episode. <laughs> but yeah. but but as far as Navani and Raboniel, Rob, you mentioned Navani's kind of scholar conflict, yes, and how that is resolved here, where where she she has her apotheosis. She admits she is a scholar, and she is forced to recognize she's not only a scholar, but she is brilliant. But what I was most fascinated by in, in this part was her relationship with Raboniel. Yeah. This reluctant at first, and then ultimately intimate relationship between these two women and how much harder the betrayal hits uh, because of that, right? Like the, these emotional moments, the, the realization that, Oh, this is her daughter and, and Raboniel's willingness to open up to Navani make it, just all the more powerful when Raboniel ultimately turns around and, and says, okay, well, I'm going to go make some daggers and, yeah. and we're going to go kill all your radiance and your spread. <laughs> and you shouldn't it's, have been so trusting or you should have known better than to be so trusting. However, you, she puts it. You think about how Raboniel was introduced. Leshwe was terrified of this woman terrified and then she is so humanized i mean i mean when she's first introduced she is literally inhuman in her uh she's superhuman in her cruelty in her insanity that you're given to understand from leshwe's point of view and then as the book progresses she becomes more and more understandable less insane and then it's all ripped out from under you at the end when she's like, no, I'm just a psychopath that I'm really good at pretending, basically. <laughs> loved yeah. that. Loved. Loved, loved, loved that. 
Yep. She's certainly an amazing villain. Uh, yes. And I shouldn't call her a villain, maybe, but antagonist or um, probably uh, she might be the best, in my opinion, that Brandon has written so far. I, I don't know. Maybe I didn't need to reread everything to think that through, but she's a pretty dynamic, pretty deep, interesting antagonist. I will say she is up there with Hraithen for my favorite Brandon Sanderson antagonist. They're they're the mm. two they're the two best. Just yeah, I think for me with the Brandon Sanderson antagonists, we have uh, Raboniel Raithen yep. from Elantris. Even though this was Brandon's first published book, Raithen still stands. Uh, hey, in hey, that list for me. I, I am on record as saying the characters Brandon was writing around that time when he he wrote the uh, White Sand. The, the current incarnation of White Sand, and he wrote Ether of Night, and he wrote Elantris. Some of the absolute best character work he's ever done. But now we have Rhythm of War when, when he just freaking leveled up on us. So, you know, I, I may have to <laughs> revise my opinion there. <laughs> yeah. Um,. So while we're talking about Rabonia really quickly, I, I do want to list something that I had uh, predicted really quickly, and I, it was quickly uh, proved wrong. But I thought when I saw this dagger with the ruby that Rabonia gives to Navani, there was a, a really quick description of it having a different metal in a narrow vein down the center from tip to hilt. And at that moment, I wrote, I'm going to guess that it can store investiture, or it steals investiture. So I wrote, was that Nicrosil? And then a couple minutes later, I wrote, oh, Rabonio calls it Racium. I want to point and out. And I realized, oh, Drew, a couple episodes ago, you said something about Racium, about there being a potential... You know, God metal for Odium. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can see why that would have been on your mind at that point. But I, at first, I thought it was Nicrosil because, you know, as we know about Nicrosil, it stores investiture, it mm -hmm. steals investiture. Yeah. Um, from the moment they described the metal in the uh, Heavenly One Spears in part one, I was just like, oh, this is Odium's God metal. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I would have figured it would have been more rare than that, even though it's on... It's just spear well, tips. Well, it's clearly it very abundant. rare. I mean, Rabonio talks about how rare it is, to the point where when, when they have the explosion, she sends, like, cleaning crews through the room to pick up every Yeah, but that's not part fragment. one. You said in part one, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, from that moment. Especially because we saw it in Oathbringer. The, the dagger used to kill Yezbo. Yeah, but we didn't know that back then. Oh, but I immediately yes, assumed it there, too. <clears throat> and really? then winning. That it was Racium, not like Nicrosil that can just steal investiture? No. Or no, store I, investiture? I thought immediately that it was Racium. Really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'll just say nice then. Well, I, I, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not the only one. I mean, I think that was a fairly popular theory. Was it? Yeah, that it was essentially yeah. a rhesium hemallergic spike. 
It's like oh. a white and gold metal or whatever, which is Odium's yeah. got the whole gold thing going on. And, yeah, Odium mm-hmm. definitely has a lot of gold thing going on. We saw at the end of Words of Radiance, and I was like, Odium, gold! And then a lot of people were like, Odium, red, shut up. Yeah, no, <laughs> oh, corrupted investiture red. Yeah, corrupted but, investiture, yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. Um, do we have any more, like, character stuff to talk about, or can we just, just go into the Cosmere? Because... I figure we just make this episode organic. You go whatever into whatever the hell you want, dude. All right, just, just spoilers start. We'll see now. where it takes us. <laughs> spoilers start now. Warlight, anti-investiture. <laughs> Holy shit! And the fact that <laughs> one of the biggest, uh, you know, things involved in this was uh, a god medal. <laughs> You know the the fact that we have we have things coming straight out of Mistborn uh, magic rules, and then and then in Navani's studies she's using white sand. The sheer number of crossovers in this freaking book, Ralkalest. Yeah. yeah, that they know it as Ralkalest. You know. I, in, just in their studies here, we have magic system, at least terminology and crossovers from three different series outside of the Stormlight Archive. Like, Brandon has so thoroughly taken off the Cosmere gloves at this point. <laughs> yeah, I I was very very uh, prescient of everything you had said about Sanderson's stance on leaving the Cosmere as a whole out of the vital understanding of his books, and you are absolutely right. With Rhythm of War, I kept reading this and thinking, "Oh my God, I am so <laughs> glad that I know the rest of the Cosmere right now." Yeah, like, like yes, you could read this book without having read anything else. You could also read this book without having read anything else, and you would just not understand it. Like, you'd get the broad strokes of the plot lines and the character arcs, but so many things you'd be reading and just be like, what the hell is that? What is going on? Why don't I understand this? I'm four books into a series, and there's just... All this new stuff getting dropped on me that I don't understand. Why don't I understand it? Hmm. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Page. Yeah. Page eight hundred sixty-three. Radiant walks past a group of humans in lasting integrity from Nalthus. Not from some distant land. Not from. Not even from Nalathis or however she thought it was pronounced in the first Nalthus. part of this book. Yeah. But from Nalthus, we are just casually now getting other Shardwold names just tossed into the mix. Yeah, yeah, and uh, who is 16? I was going to say, we didn't talk about 16, whoever (laughs) the heck that is. Yeah. The one who's really weird about the number 16. Like, clearly somebody realmatically aware. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are so many things... Like, even if you call them Easter eggs, there are just so many of them that gaps in this book will be opaque to people who who haven't read the rest of the Cosmere. Stormlight used yeah. to be like a real, like really hardcore Easter egg hunt. 
Easter egg hunt, and now it's like an Easter egg hunt for my two-year-old. Like, <laughs> just like you just like went out into the yard and yeah. like threw them into the grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just outrageous, and I love it. I love every single minute of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man, like I, I I almost feel like I can't talk theories because we haven't done part five yet and part yep. five informs so many theories at this but, point <laughs> yeah well yeah who the hell knows going forward but the the very clear trade uh like economy around roshar opens up just a, 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 well, a dwarf galaxy of possibilities. Um, (laughs) The fact that the Fuse know terminology from Cell, but also the fact that uh, they have white sand but don't know where it's from, don't know what its deal is. And that, to me, you know, that may be because of Autonomy's apparent you know, isolation policy around Taldane being combined with Autonomy's willingness to work with Odium, because we already know Autonomy admires Odium. Mm -hmm. So it could be Autonomy's like letting this leak out, but hiding where it's coming from, what, you know, what the deal is with it. Autonomy's like, yeah, here, I'll give you some resources to help out, but I, I'm protecting my home base. I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I feel like I, I, I mean, the, the spur of the moment nature of this episode, I haven't really been able to formulate my thoughts on all the Cosmere stuff. Sure, sure, yeah. I have a bunch of thoughts going forward that are exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, well, Rob, yeah. take it away then. Take it okay. away. <laughs> so my next one is about Marais then. And he makes this reference to a stone of ten dawns. Yeah. What the hell are we thinking about this? Do we think this is like another incredibly rare gemstone? Kind of like, um, oh God, what was it called in Oathbringer? Uh, uh, Honor's Drop? Yeah. What was it? Yes, it's been referenced before. Um, what are we thinking about the Stone of Ten Dawns? In in um, Oathbringer, it was, it was the Stone of Ten Dawns is mentioned two times in Oathbringer. Is it really? Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're obscure references. They're just passing mentions. Um, uh, one of them is when they're in Shadesmar and they're talking about perfect gemstones, and someone's like, someone says, like the Stone of Ten Dawns. And then um, they say that the king's drop is. Uh, uh, they say it's a chunk off the stone of ten dawns. So. Mm. Oh my god. Something mythical that apparently is oh based my in god. real. <laughs> oh, okay. Gosh. I don't know All if right. it's like another. Like, is it like. The same thing as the King's Drop? Is it just like another one of these like giant special gems? Or the fact that there's a, there's a myth that the King's Drop is was a piece of it almost yeah. makes me wonder if it's something 
Um, Perfect. Something big. I, I know. I know the word that's King's in your head that's right this now. Big? Oh, oh, maybe not. I was uh, gonna say, was was the word in your head Dawn Shard? Oh uh, well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we got we got the name Dawn. We have. Oh my gosh, that was the other thing we haven't even talked about. Speaking of Dawns. Uh. <laughs> Where are you going with this? Yeah, I'm wondering too. The very beginning of part four. Don. Don Singer. Cultivation's name. Oh, right. 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 So, yeah, we have... Cora. Uh, a, a, a bit of artwork annotated by Nas about the calligraphic phonemes... And we have some glyphs, uh, some very swordy looking glyphs, especially the Stormlight one. And that one is described as saying Tavadovast, or Tavast's Light, using Tanavast's Alethi name. And the next one is Unknown Glyph, but reads Koradaros, or Koravari's Light, obviously referring to Koravellium Avast. She who brings the dews at dawn. So Cora is, or or Coravel Corva something is is very clearly cultivation. Maybe Coravella. Yeah, I, we have Coravellium. I mean, it's a pretty clear allusion to uh, the god metal, and the fact that Coravellium Avast. I think that's a a pretty clear connection to the fact that she was romantically involved with Tan Avast, if not married to him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. That's pretty. Yeah, I mean, what a place the to implications drop are her wild. name. What a place to drop her name. Yeah, <laughs> so many people. <laughs> So many people are just going to get to part four and be like, oh, there's some runes, and now I'm going to ignore that, and then go to the next page and start reading, you know? like the, the Sorry, the, the Avast thing is interesting to me, though, because it, so apparently that phrase means she who brings the dews at dawn, right, though, right? So I mm-hmm. wonder what, like, what part of that is Avast, and then how is that tied to or, ten Avast? Right. <laughs> so. Dawn. So, so Tavodovast is Tavast's light. You would think Odo is is the root there for light, right? Yeah. Otto, Odo. Um, But then the rest of that is just Tavast, and that just translates as his name. So it's hard to, like, pull a meaning out of that root. Yeah. And tie it into she who brings the dews at dawn. Unless there's a deeper meaning to Tavast as a name in Alethi that we're just not getting here. My, my theory is it's it's the dawn part. Tavast, Avast is the dawn. Dawn's light. Stormlight. It gives mm. it gives you it gives you a, a precedence for the dawn Not singers. Sure. They're named after they're they're literally named after. Tanavast. Yeah. 
That's a good point. That's a good. That's a very good point. I could. I could get behind that. Huh. And then cultivation kind of picked up his name or something. Yeah. Or at least that in that phrase. She's right. the one who brings the dues with Tanabast. Yeah. Mm, ooh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Man, there's just... <laughs> yeah. There's just so much in this freaking book. Yeah, I mean, the science, this like, just the science alone, the fact that we got so many revelations about the light. We had, we had the previous revelations that there was stormlight... Life light, tower light, and now we're we're dealing with anti light, anti void light, and anti storm light, and an, like we're we're dealing with all of these extra concepts that even if they were possible, you wouldn't have expected to conceive of for many books down the road, and they're just being thrown at you, thrown at you, thrown at you, and for me, I was left reeling. Like I I love this science aspect of everything. I've been glowing about it, but even for me, it was a little bit overwhelming. How'd you guys feel about it? Uh, yeah, maybe a little overwhelming. Uh, I will say I really want to know what sort of pattern there was in the rubble in the library after uh, Raboniel accidentally set off the anti versus regular void light explosion because there was totally a pattern in that rubble. There was definitely some cymatics going on there. It, um, I don't know that it, I love it too much to to like feel like overwhelmed by it. There was definitely like so much that I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm I know that I'm missing things. It's like, I'm, yeah. But it was kind of like a I'm already looking forward to my second read because because I'm already missing so much stuff here that like uh, right. I, can't wait, <laughs> I can't wait to redo this. Yeah, I'm um, I'm very glad you know I've read this part twice now. You know the the first time through I was entranced i was so on board i was like this is absolutely incredible the revelations but i was not prepared to fully like comprehend what was going on and now reading it the second time i can look at it from a little more of a remove and and be analytical about it and and that's why i want to know like uh you know like i said what was the cymatic pattern and or or I should say if if there was a cymatic pattern to that, which I'm sure there was, and how similar is it to the layout of the shattered planes? <laughs> yes. Oh, if you're about to go there. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. Like we know the so we think it was destroyed. Whatever racium was in there was destroyed, right? Could they perhaps be able to recover those metals based on being able to find that pattern? Like, it would be reduced down to the axi, I assume, as they would put it. Well, they they found um, pieces of it from the dagger. Because they had, like, you yeah. know, servants go through and sweep the whole place for every little splinter of, of rhesium. Because they found so rare. pieces of it, for sure. Yeah. Because there was also a second dagger, right, that Raboniel used to stab her daughter? Yes. I believe. Mm-hmm. So we 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 know it definitely like these pieces they found were from the original one that he that just went nuke. Yes, yeah, yeah. After the okay. the okay the anti investiture nuke went off, they sent 
servants through to clean the room and scrub it for every single yep. sliver of raisium. And hey, speaking of gloating about predictions that I f***ing nailed, <laughs> there was a prediction I had in Rhythm of War Part 2 or Part 3. I think it was Part 3 where I said, Navani, why are you giving this sphere to your engineers? What are you doing? You're telling them to do this. It's going to draw the f***ing light out of this sphere and put it into another sphere, which means you need to free that light. This can only end badly. And then, like, Eight pages later, <laughs> nuclear explosion, and I, they died. I was like, yeah, okay, there it is. I will say, originally, you thought it was an unmade in the gem, and it would only end badly because they were going to free the unmade. But, yes. But yes. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, but what I said in that last moment was, this can only end badly. Mm. Why would you do this? Yeah, and and if you go back and listen to that that episode, I am quite certain I was chuckling evilly. As you were yeah, saying, you probably were. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. Yep, 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 yep. So much stuff happening. Oh my. And and once we get to part five, and we can literally say anything that we want. Yeah, li- I like, bet this would get all all spoilers. Once we get to part five, all spoilers are on the table. There's nothing we can say. There's yeah. literally well, for you, no it'll still more be Don Shard, about. But other than that, oh yeah, I can't say anything about Don Shard. You're right. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I have to remind you. <laughs> unless unless we wait long enough to record part five, oh, you've read Don ooh. Shard by then, <laughs> dude. Check this out. Check this out. Lift wonders why her healing Kaladin still works when her awesomeness doesn't. I am guessing and suggesting that. Progression as cultivation's yes. truest surge yes. Yes. is the one that is still working because, of course, the tower is based on both Stormlight and Lifelight. It's, yep. it's a combination of the two. So Towerlight would have a truest surge from Honor, which still works. Abrasion. Adhesion. Oh, so abrasion. The hell am I saying? Adhesion. Yep. And Cultivation's equivalent would be Progression. So yep. Lift can still do her thing. While that may yep. be true, why then do you think there are fused with the power of progression because why wouldn't there be the singers are more closely connected to cultivation than they are to honor but why wouldn't this why would you so, think the, sing, yeah, the singers me, wouldn't i'll back up and because when yeah, sorry, um, I'm, when back in part two when um when uh vinley asks is, is talking with raboniel about surges um and they say why you know why do they have tens orders of knights radiant and why and why do we only have access to like nine surges and raboniel says because we don't have access to adhesion because it's honors truest surge mm-hmm. so it's weird to me that because i i think i think the the singers are connected very directly to cultivation but they were not to as honor. mankind mm-hmm. is to honor yeah. I would have thought they were connected to honor but maybe that's changed maybe it's like it's so, they were but like it's it, there's been a divide I, I think when Honor and Cultivation arrived in the Rosharan system, Honor invested, connected, whatever you want to use, whichever spiritual attribute you want to use, more with the humans on Ashen, and Cultivation did more so with the singers on Roshar. Okay. I can see that. That's That's my thought. And so the singers inherently have access to progression, and humans inherently had access to uh, adhesion, and and that's why we had 
a human bondsmith. Setting up the Oath Pact and all that. Yeah. 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 Um... Oh no, I can't I can't bring that up. That's part 5. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I will say I'm running out of stuff to talk about part 4 without going into part 5 yeah. spoilers. How did you react to uh Ristari's and his true identity? Oh, I I would I freaked out. Did you did you see it coming? Cuz I no. did not. I can this yeah. is one thing I can fully admit I did not even begin to see coming. That absolutely blindsided me. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, it was worth a really good laugh. Like, are you got to be kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, one thing I forgot to bring up during the dog and the dragon. Okay, um, apologetically, when showing the light weaving of a dragon. Okay, so when when Wit is showing the light weaving of a dragon, he says he only knows one on Roshar. Yep. Who hides her true form. Cultivation. And he says he's met other dragons, plural. You think cultivation What are we getting dragon? out of that? Yeah. You think Korra, Koravala, Koravel, whatever? Yeah. yeah, I think he's referring to cultivation. I don't. Right? So cultivation somehow is a, is also a dragon? Like, I don't think cultivation... Frost? I don't think her vessel... I don't, I don't think uh, the vessel was a dragon. Or I don't so, think this is the dragon Hoyt is talking about. I think it's another one. Yeah, yeah I, it could be a different. The, one. the hiding her true form to me, yeah, like like cultivation is so who is hiding it? her true form. Cultivation is incorporeal. And, yeah, and like, so who is this dragon who is uh, hiding? But, her but true when form she appears like in the valley, she appears as a human, sort of, right. and she has like this robe that goes into the ground, right, yeah. with roots everywhere. And I mean, I think that's like an investiture creation. I don't, I don't. See I, I that take as, hiding, like, her her hiding her true form, though. Okay, I, I read hiding your sure. true form as like as as hiding behind a like hiding behind a mask, not like not letting people see it at all. It could be. I Maybe I that's... read that more as somebody who is like actively involved in Roshar and society and is appearing as a human. Interesting. And mm. I could be. I don't. Interesting what it I be. don't think it's Adrotagia, but I also like my men went straight to Adrotagia first. Really, I'm thinking like Ile in her odd like. Well, she's I don't know, dead. Almost so. like cat. Yeah, she's she's dead by now. <laughs> but like her cat-like <laughs> caressing of Sadius, right? I don't know what it is about that. No, I don't. I don't think Eli was. Yeah, but no, but I think it's somebody like. Forward. Adrotagia, who's she's whoever this dragon is, whether it's cultivation or not, has to be involved in events. Like I, I cannot see yeah, yeah. a dragon How from can a dragon Yolen just sit there, just yeah, chilling somewhere and just watching you know, this unfold and be like, oh damn, that looks interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So uh, we pretty much approached everything I have to talk about for Rhythm of War Part Four because I'm I, I've so many times come close to spoiling stuff from Part Five. I just need to be able to talk about this book with my yeah, you know, with with the, with the gloves off oh entirely. Oh god, oh god, I can't wait for. But for our you part know, like a, a pretty um, randomly planned episode. This has been pretty fun. Yeah, uh, Josh, are, are you ready to head into the final draft? Yeah, uh, go for it. Oh man, we still have the final draft. We do. I totally forgot about that. 
I mean, I drank the rest of the Caesar that I had, clearly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> between the last episode and this episode, I've now had five Caesars, and I'm on a beer now. This is a James Ready. This is, I mean, it's mm. pretty standard beer. Not a lot to say about it. I've, I've said everything I need to say about it earlier. Um, I'm still just going to revert back to having drank the Clamato Caesar, because that's what I'm most familiar with right now. And it was good. It's really good. Plus a bit of James Ready. And some excellent five hours worth of discussion with a couple oh of guys who know a little more than I do about the cosmos. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, Josh, have you been drinking anything on this episode? I know this was very spur of the moment. Um, you know, I've got kind of something that's kind of fun and relevant here. I've actually been drinking a nice glass of H2O, but... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> smart. Yeah. But um, I am drinking it in a, um, a blender bottle. So um, this is a cheers mm. to to uh, Navani's search for an emulsion. <laughs> and and on this topic, I will take my opportunity to gloat on this episode. Oh, bring it! I named that chapter. <laughs> Which one? Oh, emulsifier. Yeah, that was in part four. I don't think yep. so. Yeah, she, when when she figures it. out the emulsifier to to make warlight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you, but yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yep. I can't. That that's got to be such an incredible honor, dude. Seriously. So, um, my well, okay. I had two beers. One of them I'll I'll get out of the way fast because I actually featured it on. I think part one of Rhythm of War. Uh, it was It Gets Better from Anchorage Brewing oh, yes. Company. If you want my review for that, you know, review our uh, our Rhythm of War part one episode. Uh, I, I will bring on uh, a little quote from Dog and Dragon. <laughs> okay. As, you know, Wit is talking... And, and and he's he's chatting with Kaladin after the story, and Kaladin asks, you know, can you tell me the real ending? And he says, that night, the little dog snuggled into a warm bed beside the fire, hugged by the farmer's children, his belly full. And as he did, the dog thought to himself, I doubt any dragon ever had it so good anyway. And Kaladin says, it won't be like that for me. You told me it would get worse. It will, Wit said. But then it will get better. So, that brings me to my other beer, which also I'm connects sure to this chapter. I am drinking a, oh my gosh, uh, quite a beer from Moonraker Brewing Company uh, in uh, Auburn, California. This is an imperial stout aged in bourbon barrels for 18 months and conditioned on cacao nibs, vanilla, and orange zest. And let me tell you, if you like chocolate oranges... Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, you you take a whiff of this and it, it smells like when you open that chocolate orange box the first time. Oh my god. It is so That's good. Mine right there. And on top of that, it is 13.0% ABV. So I'm having a good time tonight. 
<laughs> oh my god. But this is, to Kaladin's experience, as he enters Hoyd's little protective bubble, the raging storm overwhelming him suddenly silenced. This beer is called Deafening Silence. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. And it's an oxymoron, too. And I I seriously cannot... Oh, I cannot say enough about how delicious this is. <laughs> Oof. Mm. Mm. I need to have some of this. I mean, chocolate oranges are something I've always had a weakness for. Ever since I was like 10 years old, the smell of a chocolate orange, anything with orange and fruit, uh, oh, especially with orange, oh. Oh, well, maybe I'll need to see if I can get my hands on another bottle for the, uh... Jeez. That halcyon day when you can make your way down to Colorado. This has been a hell of a night, boys. I've had, like, six drinks now. I'm, like, <laughs> ready to call it. This has been awesome. We did two more episodes today, gentlemen. Yeah. We've been on, Drew? on, on like, turbo Josh. mode for the last week. <laughs> We've, we have Josh, recorded... Josh, thank you so much for doing this with us, man. You are a... Soldier, yeah, right now, yeah. It's so it's been fun. So this has been. Oh my gosh, let me double check here. Uh, <laughs> episode, I'm afraid to say the number six of the Inking Out Loud podcast. No way, this is not going to be, is it? I believe it is. <laughs> uh, next up, Rhythm of War Part Five, <laughs> and and boy, that's going to be a doozy. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, I don't even know how I'm going to approach that one. Yeah, it's going to be insane. Um, and if you want early access to that, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud, where uh, if you support us at a certain tier, you can get early access to our episodes. You can also get access to our monthly newsletter, monthly short fiction written by Rob or myself, uh, bonus episodes, things like that. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Molash. <laughs> and our special guest, Joshua Harkey. Thanks for coming on. Uh, good night. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for bearing with us through this insane episode. And we will catch you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>